I mentioned last week that Lent is coming up in a few weeks, and for some of you who may not know what that is, Lent is a time to really focus on Christ leading up to Easter, leading up to Resurrection Sunday, the cross, and oftentimes, traditionally, people give up something leading up to that time. And last week, I gave away a book. I want to give away another one this week. It's called Journey to the Cross, and it's a 40-day devotional uh, leading up to Resurrection Sunday. And... I want to give this away to somebody who I'm just going to randomly ask, since tomorrow's President's Day, who is the eighth President of the United States? Somebody's Googling it right now. No. No. Yeah, there it is, Buchanan. Right? Washington, Adams, Jefferson, Madison, Monroe, Adams, no, Jackson. Yeah, there it is. Van Buren, come up here. You got it. Good job. Who is that? Samuel? No. Yeah, Samuel. Good job, man. I almost had to sing the little song to get it. And then I wanted to announce a couple things here before we start in John chapter 6. I got a couple ministry opportunities for the right person if maybe you have a gift set in this area. I just want to mention this, and I, I want really somebody to step up who maybe has just leanings to really help in so, a couple of different areas. The first is several of our churches want to kind of join together and collaborate on how to best respond to the homeless in our community. And so next week at D Now, we've asked that different people from churches will represent, be represented in a meeting, and the Salvation Army will be represented to kind of how we can uh, pull together and better respond. Because I don't know if you've noticed, but there is a lot more homeless in our community lately, and oftentimes we know that people sometimes do take advantage and move around to church to church, and so we're trying to coordinate this. And so if you have administrative gifts or you just have a heart for the homeless, uh, that's one opportunity. And then the second one is, um, I I've been wanting to start a recovery program here at the church for a long time, and we did a, a study called Steps uh, a couple years back, and it's a recovery ministry. And if you're not familiar what a recovery ministry is, it's really a, a support ministry for those who are struggling with various hurts and, and things in their lives. And, and so we really need several people to coordinate this ministry. And so sometimes I think we limit ministry opportunities to, you know, run a camera, which is awesome. DJ, thank you for running a camera, running sound, running tech. But there's also huge ministry opportunities to really, really make a difference in people's lives in a, a fundamental way that will really shape their direction spiritually. And so these are a couple opportunities that are just there, and I, I really want the right person who feels really drawn to this to, to respond to it. You can either see me or you can sign up in the app. In the app, if there's a little way you can go to more down the corner at the bottom, and then it clicks serving uh, on the side. Go to the next screen uh, there, Mason. The next screen for me. There you go. Uh, you click at the bottom a little more and then serving and you can fill out a little thing and just say, hey, I'm possibly interested in helping with one of these two ministries. And so just a homeless opportunity there or with the Steps Recovery Ministry. And it doesn't mean that you have to necessarily be the leader in either one of these ministries, but you would like to help and be part of that for the church. And so I encourage you to do that. So we're going to be back in John chapter 6. And so let's pray and we'll jump back into our text. Father God, we thank you for your word, and as we'll see today, your, your word is spirit and it's life. And God, we, I think most people in this room would affirm that to be true, but so many times our lives don't really say that's true by the way that we live them. 
and the little bit of priority we put upon knowing your word and being in your word. And God, I pray today that uh, we will see Jesus high and lifted up through his words today. God, we thank you for your scripture and what it's teaching us. And God, may we be not just hearers, but be doers. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we've been in John 6 for quite a few weeks. I don't even want to guess how many, but we've seen quite a few either paradoxes or mysterious kind of difficult things in this text. And let me just kind of walk you through the three that we've, uh, two that we've covered, one that we'll be talking about today. And these truths are really things that we just have to accept by faith. We have to just believe and receive it, not because we fully understand it and can get our minds around it. And so the first one we saw back earlier in the chapter was God chooses people based on his own purpose and desire, but as the Westminster Confession states, God has given humans a will which by nature is free. And so there's a side of salvation where God is the one that does the initiation, but at the same time we have to hold equally true that we have responsibility in the act of salvation in Jesus and his offer for salvation. And we looked at such verses like verse 37 that said, All that the Father gives me will come to me. Verse 44, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And then Jesus said that this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. And so you see this tension here. No one can come to Jesus without God first initiating faith within them, but at the same time, people have responsibility to respond to the gospel, and it truly, as you remember in your salvation experience, it felt like free will. It felt like you made the choice, and so you have to hold these things to be equal and both truths from Scripture where it's hard to reconcile those. The second one we looked at last week was the mystery of the believer's union with Jesus, how that Jesus said that we can know him, and he uses this metaphor that we have to feed on his flesh and drink from his blood, and whoever abides in me and I in him, that person will have eternal life. And so Jesus uses this really seems crazy to us metaphor, this picture of eating his flesh and drinking his blood, and he uses that because he feels that's obviously the best way to explain this union that we can have with Jesus. And we have to wrestle with this concept because it's not something that we can easily wrap our minds around. And so Jesus uses this incredible statement about our union when we come to Christ, this connection we have with Jesus. Well, today we're going to see what is referred to as the perseverance of the saints. And that's the name that is used to summarize what the Bible teaches about eternal security of the believer. And what's, you may think, well, what's mysterious or difficult about that truth? Well, again, Scripture teaches both equally strong that Scripture says that only those who stand firm in their faith until the end will be saved. Scripture is clear on that, but it also is clear that in the final analysis, salvation does not rest upon our ability. So there's that tension. We stand firm and faithful to the end will be saved but Scripture says that salvation doesn't ultimately rest upon our ability, but it rests upon God's grace. And so we'll see this more thoroughly as we look through verses 59 through 71. So if you'll follow along, if you're opening your Bible and following along, or the verses will be on the screen for you in the app as well. So catch up to speed what's going on. Jesus has 
really raised the level of commitment. These people who are following him, he's raised up the expectation for the people who are following him around, listening to his teaching, asking him questions. And today we're going to see three different responses. But back in verse 59, Jesus said these things in a synagogue. He's in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. So if you've tracked through this chapter, chapter 6, you're probably scratching your head and saying, okay, I don't remember when he arrived at the synagogue at Capernaum. Well, this crowd has been following him around when he came off the Sea of Galilee with the disciples. Remember, he walked on the water, went to the boat, came to the Sea of Galilee. They followed him the short distance to the city of Capernaum, and John doesn't feel like it's relevant necessarily to tell us exactly at what point Jesus ends up at the synagogue, but he ends up there, and the crowd has already probably thinned out at some point, and now at the synagogue, there's people with him who consider themselves to be his disciples. And now the synagogue in Jewish times was a place where they would gather on the Sabbath to pray and study scripture, and then the building was also used for community purposes throughout the week, for uh, discussions, spiritual conversations, and so on. So in verse 60, when many of his disciples heard it, what was it? It was what we talked about last week, eat my flesh, drink my blood. You can't be my disciple if you don't do this. They said, this is a hard saying. Who can understand or listen or accept this? This is too tough for us. We don't get it. But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense at this? So he says, his disciples. Now, disciples, generally speaking, means those who follow, those who adhere to one's teaching, a learner of someone. And it was not uncommon for the, during that time period for rabbis, for teachers to have followings, to have disciples who followed along and learned from them. But anyone who followed Jesus and at least professed to accept his teaching was known as a disciple. And Jesus is forcing these disciples to show where they really stand. And so these, they're grumbling, and we see them, the scripture says they're grumbling, and these are disciples who are on the fringe of Jesus. They're outside the 12, outside his inner circle. These are other disciples that Jesus had, and, he, and they say, this is a hard saying, Jesus. What you're telling us is, is tough. It's difficult. His teaching was offensive to them. And in his ministry, Jesus never, ever pursued big crowds. He didn't. Jesus didn't define success by how many people were falling behind him. In fact, Jesus ultimately and intentionally thins the group of following him to show who's really in and who's not. And I think there's a lot of implications for us as a church. And I think the churches learn this at some level that making church gathering a primarily a gathering for seekers was a big mistake. Many churches tried that. Some still do that. It's not a church. And it's a massive mistake for the modern church to try to assimilate people, bring people in through non-spiritual strategies, to try to use methods to get people just to be in a part of your gathering. Because you're going to get people for various reasons and motivations. And Jesus is clear that he was purifying who his disciples truly are based upon their hearts and whether they really wanted Jesus or not. And so those who are willing to accept the hard sayings 
they were the true disciples and those who weren't. And in, in the culture we live in today, the lines are pretty, being drawn pretty firm, right? There's people who say Jesus' words, the words of the Bible, are just offensive. They're too hard. And for some reason, I'm not sure why, sinners want the church to affirm their lifestyle. They want us to say that it's okay to do whatever you're doing and whatever sin you're committing, whatever way you're living. People want the church to say that's okay. And there's all this pressure being put on, and even churches are falling on lines between, are we going to preach the scriptures? Are we going to preach what Jesus said? Are we going to preach the Bible? Or are we going to just um, help culture feel better about themselves and we'll give in and compromise and make concessions for the culture? And in fact, just north of our border in Canada, the law has been changed to ban any demonstration, rally, or other activity that is deemed hateful by the government. If the government deems a certain conversation or a certain speech hateful, it's banned. And if you follow the news in the last few days, not the trucker situation, but a preacher who was preaching got arrested for saying things that were offensive to their culture. So it's coming. All right, we just need to realize it's coming. And here's the thing. It's going to purify the church. It's going to purify who the disciples truly are. Do we want to be accepted by the culture? Do we want fame? Do we want power? Or are we willing to live like Jesus and ultimately even give potentially our lives? Maybe not in our lifetime, but it's coming eventually. So Jesus doesn't hesitate to thin out his disciples. So verse 61, do you take offense at this? And then he says, then what if you were to see the Son of Man, that's Jesus' name for himself, the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? And so Jesus here is probably referring to the cross, his resurrection, his glorification, that whole picture that's coming soon. And he's showing to them, remember the whole conversation he's had with them where uh, they said, well, Moses, he brought down manna from heaven. And Jesus said, I came down from heaven. Now he's saying, hey, what if I ascend back to heaven? What are you going to think about that? What's your feelings about that? That's going to happen. So he's kind of throwing this out to them saying, what are you going to do then when you see me being glorified and taking back, taken back into heaven? And so he's kind of just showing them, hey, I am who I am. I am something more than just a man standing in front of you. I'm the son of man. I am God. I'm king. And then verse 63, Jesus continues on. He says, it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. So Jesus tells him, he said, I've been speaking to you spirit and life, and you don't get it. Here you're so stuck with this physical mindset. Follow this verse. You're so stuck with this physical mindset that you're ignoring the things of the spirit. And so Jesus is clarifying that he's not literally talking about eating his flesh and drinking his blood. That's not the point. The point is they had to place their total trust, their total faith into his hands all of them into his hands. And then he says the flesh, which means the physical part of the human being, our humanness, he says is incapable of producing genuine spiritual life. For this can only be done by the Holy Spirit who works through the words of Jesus. And he says, Jesus says, my words are spirit and they're life. So Jesus' words have this ability to cut through to the unseen spiritual reality that exists. The scripture has the ability to cut through the physical 
to the unseen spiritual realities and awaken spiritual life within a person. That's pretty powerful, isn't it? And he says, the flesh, it's no help at all. He says, spiritual truth and spiritual life are impossible to obtain by human effort. It only comes through the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit working through the words of Christ. And this is why we say this verse a lot at Grace Church, Colossians 3.16. Remember I said it helped you remember it? Where it was found at, Colossians 3.16, John 3.16, Colossians 3.16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Let that word just fill you up and dwell within you richly. And so if we're going to be able to cut through the physical, through those things in our lives that are inevitably going to come and happen in your life, in a broken world, in a broken body, that the, this physical world is going to constantly let you down. People are going to let you down. Life is going to let you down. It's going to happen. And Jesus says, the physical is no help for you in the end. What matters from the vantage point of eternity is the word that gives is spirit and it gives life. And we talk so much about being in the word. And I know some of you, you maybe feel like that, you know, I just don't have time to be in the word. Or some of you, I just don't, that's not my thing to be in the word. I'm more of a doer type person. Look, the scripture never tells us that faith comes by doing. We do the word for sure. And if we don't do the word, we're not really hearing and receiving the word by faith. But faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So my challenge to you is no matter what it takes to make it happen, be in the word. Find yourself in the word and be in the word. And it will change you. I promise you it will change you. Find a time. Be consistent. Let it just soak over you. And God will use it to change you. And so the words of Jesus speak, and they're spirit in their, in their life. But as we see from the crowd who's now thin, and it's the disciples who are there, he, Jesus is going to point out that this has to be combined with faith, or it's ultimately no value to the hearer. That's our side of it, which is ultimately a gift from God. Also, faith is the only instrumental instrumental means by which we receive salvation and we can receive anything from God. So we must have faith to believe that it's true, which is a gift to God. Look at verse 64. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning, John says, who those were who, would, who did not believe him and who it was who would betray him. In verse 65, and he said, Jesus says, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. So this group of people, this group of disciples, they've had more than enough opportunities to place their faith in Jesus. And God doesn't turn anyone away who desires to come to Jesus. He receives all who desire to come to him. But they refuse to accept him. They reject Jesus. And John lets us know that Jesus knew all along whose faith was genuine in the crowd and whose was just an attachment of the superficial, just looking for more from Jesus or expecting something different than what Jesus was saying, this is who I am. And then interestingly enough, if you've been tracking with us or maybe some of these mysteries, these struggles that we've dealt with have forced you into Scripture and to read, you may have noticed already this is the third time in John 6 where Jesus 
has made such a statement as verse 65, where he says, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. So nobody comes to me. So Jesus is not rattled by their lack of belief. So God had not given these skeptics of Jesus the faith to believe in him. And the mystery is that those who reject him, reject him voluntarily. They reject him voluntarily. So again, Scripture both affirms divine sovereignty of God behind salvation and human responsibility in salvation. It's a mystery. So Jesus has laid it all out. He's spoken the tough words to them. Now we see how the group that is left over, how are they going to respond? There's three different responses. The first one we see is desertion. Desertion. Look at verse 66. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with Jesus. So this group of people who turned around and left, they would no longer go and hear him teach. They refused to learn from him. They rejected him. These disciples, listen, abandoned Jesus decisively at this point, proving that their initial faith, what looked like faith, was not genuine. It was not true. So had we had a camera back in those days or our phone, and had we been able to snap a picture of that crowd or some of these disciples along the way, we would have seen some people that looked pretty excited about Jesus. We would have seen people sitting at Jesus' feet saying, oh, I love what you're giving. Give me more. Give me more. But the snapshot that we would have taken at that point would not have been a picture of a true disciple because decisively they abandoned Jesus and they left Jesus. They did not stick with Jesus, proving that they were never truly a believer from the start. Never truly a person of faith from the start. And so that's this doctrine of the perseverance of the saints, that saints, true believers, stay faithful to the end. So all true believers in Jesus will persevere in the end of their lives because they are preserved by the sustaining grace of God. But the New Testament teaches with equal force the need of us as believers to persevere in our faith. Are you following that? Maybe it's one of those moments again where you're like, okay, I just those don't reconcile. They don't fit together. All true believers in Jesus will persevere in their faith till the end of their lives because they're being preserved by God's sustaining grace. And is that, is that that's true? Yes, it's true. But also, it's true that Scripture teaches with equal force the need of believers to persevere to the end. So what does that look like? Some years back when we lived in Texas, every year we would go on a ski trip to Colorado. And I had skied in North Carolina some, but which isn't really skiing, sadly. But we, we would go to Colorado. And, and the first year I went to Colorado, I mean, I was just blown away. I literally went to the top of the mountain we were at. It was um, Copper Mountain. And I went to the top, and I just sat there, and I looked over the beauty of God's creation. And I thought, how could anybody say there's not a God? I mean, it was just beautiful. Just beautiful. But got to jump in and, and do a lot of skiing. And we had, you know, taking a youth group, you have all different levels of skiers. And so at some point in the day, I ended up by myself at, on, on a black, which I shouldn't have been there. But I was on a black, and 
some way I ended up in the out-of-bounds area. You know what that is, where they put the markers and say, do not go here, but I didn't go there on purpose, out of control, slid under, went down an embankment, down into some very, very soft powder. And no joke, it had been a long, long day, and part of uh, the track that I had went on required me to actually walk up a hill, and, and so I was just physically just beat and exhausted, while well, I ended up in the snowdrift. And I was laying there literally on my back. And if you skied before, you know what I'm talking about. Like your skis, when they're like planted straight up in the air, and you've got to lift your leg up and twist your leg, and then you've got to figure out how to take your pole and maneuver that ski off so you get one loose and then do the other. I mean, it's really, really hard work to do. And you're in this, I'm in this, ski, this snow bank, and I'm in this out-of-bounds area, nobody's around. And I'm laying there with these skis pointing to the heavens, and, and, and I'm literally, I'm like so tired, I just don't even feel like getting up. And then as I, I start to push down my ski, I notice it just, it's super, super soft snow here. And I realize, you know, of course, I only have two options here. I can lay here and die, which I wasn't going to. I wasn't near death or anything like that. But I could lay there and just allow myself just to be there and let nightfall, snow come, and then I would have died. Or I could do whatever it takes to get up and climb out of that little pit down the hill I was in and get out of there, which obviously I did. And I think that's a beautiful illustration for how life works sometimes in this whole idea of the perseverance of the saints. Sometimes you feel alone, you feel beat down, and you feel like there's little hope in your life. But a true believer doesn't abandon God decisively. You don't leave. You don't quit. You don't give up. And you may have just a little bit of faith, but it's a faith that says, I'm going to roll over and I'm going to keep moving. And God's grace and his sustaining power, even if I don't feel it at this moment, is upon me. And he's given me, Scripture says, everything I need in this moment to continue on. And so some of you, you can relate. You're beat down by life. You're beat down by sin. You're beat down by the circumstances of life just the tragedies of life. And part of you just says, I don't really feel like going on. It's like this isn't working for me much anymore. Like God isn't there for me. And we come up with all these things where we move ourselves to the center and we scoot Jesus outside the center. Well, it was never about you in the first place. It was about Jesus in the first place. And when we come to Jesus Jesus says, you eat my flesh and you drink my blood or you can't be part of me. And in those moments, true believers, you remember those things. You remember the truths of Scripture. You grab your mind and you say, I will not abandon my faith. I will not walk away from my faith. I will not pretend. In fact, Hebrews says it this way. But we are those, are not of those who shrink back. That's not us. We don't shrink back. And those in, in Hebrews 10.39, it says, and they're destroyed, meaning there's no hope for them. They shrink back. But of those who have faith and preserve, preserve their soul, he says, those who keep going, who preserve their soul, are those who continue on. And so I encourage you a couple of things. Have a healthy distrust for your own heart. Because we can all fall into just going through the motions. And when we just go through the motions of Christianity and of faith, it's going to be easy to walk away because there's no substance there in the first place. 
A few weeks ago, it was a Wednesday morning, and I woke up with a, with a really heavy heart. The previous day, I'd watched a video and read an article by Pastor John Piper. I've talked about him a lot. You've heard of him. Many of you read him. Where he's being interviewed, and this interview, they were discussing, without specifically mentioning a na- the name, a prominent pastor. All right, And this prominent pastor wasn't from that other camp or that other group or that other denomination. This is a guy that like, would have fit in well with our church doctrine and, and our elder group and what we believe. I mean, this is a guy who was what I would call solid. He was influential in the Christian community. He declared, I'm no longer a Christian. And so the interviewer is asking Piper, and he says this, what would you say to those of us who look at this man who has now walked away from the gospel and we say, could this happen to me too? Could I, could I one day walk away from the gospel, walk away from my spouse, walk away from Christ? John Piper, pastor, many, many years, in his 70s, he responded, while he firmly believes in the eternal security of the believer, he says every day he falls on his knees every day and prays, God, hold on to me. Adding, the remaining corruption in every human being's soul is enough to make money more precious than God at age 74. He says, I could give in to the draw of money. I could give in to the lust of other things. And so this interview was really heavy on my heart. I had talked to Bo about it the day before in Fight Club. Then I open up my Bible. I'm on a two-year reading plan with some other people in the church. And the scripture that day is Mark chapter 4, the parable of the sower. And the parable of the sower concerns a sower who scattered seeds, and they fall on four different types of soil. And two of those soils, one was the stony ground, and it pictures a person who initially shows great delight with the word. However, his heart is not changed. And when troubles arise, his so-called faith quickly disappears. And then there's another ground. It was called the thorny ground. And it depicts one who seems to receive the world, but his heart is so full of riches, pleasures, and lusts that the things of this world take his time and his attention away from the word, and he ends up having no time for it. Shipwreck, two groups of people. The next thing in my little routine I do, I like to read then the New Morning Mercies devotion. And I use the scripture at the end of the devotion as my guide to pray. And the prayer passage that day for me was Psalm 73. And here's how it started out. Truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. And then the psalmist said this. But as for me, this is the guy writing the Psalms. As for me, my feet had almost stumbled My steps had nearly slipped. Why? For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Almost slipped. But I did. Because my faith is in God. The truth is, you've seen it. Some of you who have been longtime members of this church we're not talking about people who leave and go to other churches. We're talking about people who just leave and they're gone. Abandon the faith. 
And oftentimes if I interact with someone, that, you know, I don't, need, I don't need the church body. I don't need the church community, per se. I wouldn't say it that way. But I don't need church full of fakes, full of hypocrites. It's me and God. We got our thing. But John made it clear. It, you, they went out from us, but they proved they were never with us because if they were with us, they would have stayed with us. They would have been part of us. And so people who walk away from the faith, it's a scary, scary thing. And while we hope that ultimately their faith will show that it's sincere by returning to the faith, returning to Jesus, we know many people by name over the years who seem to have just lost all faith. Some because they've looked and have become envious, and they said, it's not worth it. It's not worth the sacrifice. I want to live life the way I live it. Other people, it's through the discouragement and the cares of the world. But Piper, he goes on in this interview, and he says this, If I'm going to believe, I've got to have the word. That's how God keeps me. If I'm going to believe, I've got to have the word. And he said, there's this massive sovereign God who has chosen us before the foundation of the world, who has called us to himself, who will keep us. But then he goes on to say, the evidence that that has happened is you're pressing on, you're not giving up. You're getting up. You're not going to lay there. You're going to get up and you're going to move on. Satan wants you to walk away from Jesus. He wants you to abandon your faith for momentary, momentary pleasure. He's trying to convince you that you don't need to take Jesus very seriously. But Jesus doesn't give us that option. He says, here's what I need you to do. I need you to eat my flesh and drink my, my blood. I need you to be all in. And the picture there is we're burning the ships. We're, we're not going anywhere. And we're going to see that in the next response by Peter in devotion. Look at verse 67 through 69. So Jesus, he says to his 12, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answers him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. I love this text, and I love what we see here because it gives us all hope when we may be struggling with the possibility of abandoning our faith or giving up on our faith. Because who answers Jesus? Simon Peter. Where else would we go, Jesus? Well, let's remember, those who've read the rest of the book, you know that Peter ultimately went on to deny Jesus, and temporarily he abandoned Jesus. And it's a great reminder that there will be ups and downs in life, for sure. And our spiritual lives will have times where it seems we're in the dark of night. But I love what Jesus told Peter in Luke chapter 22. He said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. So Peter, he's so bold to state, Lord, I'm ready to go to prison. I'm ready to go to death with you. And Jesus said, it's not time yet. You'll get that opportunity. But right now, you're going to walk away temporarily. But I'm praying for you, Peter, praying that you won't fail. And he never loses faith. So Jesus intercedes for him. And Jesus is interceding for you in your struggles. Some of you, maybe you're thinking about last night or what happened over the weekend, and you're thinking, wow, I'm just a fake. Is there any hope for me? Peter gives us hope. 
The walk with Jesus isn't going to be perfect. Tragedy is going to strike. You may even question God's existence, his love for you, and his purpose. But a true believer, even as he struggles, says what Peter says. Jesus, where else is there to go? I got no other place to turn. You're my only hope, Jesus. And then we see, finally, we see the third response is deception. So devotion. We see deception. Peter says, look at verse 69 again. This is interesting. Peter says, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. And then Jesus' response may puzzle you here, but follow this. Jesus answered them, did I not choose you, the 12? Did Did I not pick you? Is Jesus reminding Peter and the others of the necessity of humility? Does Peter think that he's superior to those people who had just turned away and walked away? Maybe Peter's like, we're not like those other guys. Look at us, Jesus. We're tight. Twelve of us, we're in this. But look, Peter says in verse 69, he uses the word we. We meaning all of us, all the disciples. And we have believed And we have come to know that you're the Holy One of God. But Jesus says, "Uh, not so fast. Peter, you can't be so confident. Because why? Jesus turns to him and says, I chose you the twelve, yet one of you is a devil. One of you is a devil. So Peter's all confident. We're twelve strong. We're sticking with you. And Jesus says, Peter, one of you is a devil. I wonder how they process that, right? I wonder how they begin to deal with that. Who's he talking about? What? I thought we all were in this together. John adds the commentary for us, but the disciples don't hear this. Look at verse 71. Jesus spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. So John wants his readers to know Jesus wasn't caught off guard by who was going to abandon him, who was going to deceive, or was going to ultimately betray him and lead to his arrest and crucifixion. Jesus knew it was coming. And the sad thing is, here's Judas, who had every opportunity in the world, one of Jesus' 12 inner circle disciples, discipled by the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the Alpha and Omega. Yet at the same time, he was an eyewitness to all this that Jesus did. But he was a thief, he was a fake, and he was a deceiver. And the bottom line is, in the church, Scripture tells us, There are people who are just like Judas, that they're fakes and they're deceivers. And I don't know exactly how people get to this point. Many times maybe it's a spouse who drags you along and you think, well, it's easier just to go along with it and not make waves than to say, I I, I don't want any of that church business. And so you end up here Sunday after Sunday and you hear the word, but at the end of the day you're like, I definitely ain't all in. I definitely ain't believing this. There's more answers. I'm, I'm more of a, a science person. I just, I, it just Jesus and rising from the dead just can't be true. And so you continue on with your deception for various reasons and go through the motions. So there's some who will just abandon, say, it's not for me, I'm out. And they reveal they're out. Many of you will say, I'm all in, not perfect, a lot more like Simon Peter than anybody else. But I'm here, I'm getting up when I fall down, and I'm keeping on after Jesus. But there might be a few of you who are here saying, I'm kind of like that. I'm, you know, I'm not Judas, but I'm definitely not a believer. 
Everybody thinks I'm probably a believer, but I'm not a believer. Where do you fall? In our application today, here's our head application. Head, heart, and hands. You are not too strong or too mature to fall. We are all frail, and none of us are above abandoning our faith. And I can point out preacher after preacher, person after person, who had way more biblical knowledge than you and I, who walked away. People who had led way more people to Christ than you and I who walked away. People who just gave up on their faith and quit. There needs to be this humility about us that says, I'm not above that. So you may question, can I have assurance of salvation? Yes. Keep your eyes upon Jesus. Keep your eyes on Jesus and preach the gospel to yourself until your heart sings. Why do I say it that way? Preach the gospel to yourself till your heart sings. Because it's easy to read the gospel, to be in the, th- the word, but nothing is really worshiping and praising God and delighting in God for what he's done for you. So it becomes very clinical, very process-oriented, and you've lost the love and the joy of your salvation. And so keep in the word. Let the word just fill you up. Johnny and I met with a guy the other day who just, he's so excited about the word that he just is reading just large chunks of scripture at a time. And it was so encouraging to sit there and listen because I think we can remember those days ourselves where the newness of it all and God just teaching us and we're like, I just can't get enough of this. But what happens? Our hearts get cold. We get calloused and immune and just used to it. And pretty soon we find ourselves just going through the motions of life. We need to keep preaching the gospel to ourselves until our hearts sing. That takes time. By no means would I ever say, you need X amount of time each day or whatever to, 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 to be in the Word. But I don't know how people try to hurry through the Scripture and spend five or ten minutes and really sing, let the heart sing for God. I don't. And maybe you, you found a way to, to do that, and then throughout the day, your mind is filled with the Word and the Spirit. But I think we need to, to slow ourselves down in this crazy, hectic world. And just be with Jesus, as I said a few weeks ago. Just sit at his feet and just let your heart sing. And finally, our hands application. Scripture makes it clear that we need to fight this fight together. Listen to this verse, these two verses in Hebrews 3, 12 and 13. He says, Take care, brothers, lest there be in, in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Hello? Right? He says, church, listen up. Take care, lest there be any of you who have this fake, unbelieving heart, and it's going to lead you to fall away from the living God. What's his response to that? But exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. That's why we call it fight club, because we're fighting we're fighting for our survival. We're fighting against our flesh and the temptations to say, I deserve that. He isn't doing it for me anymore, so I'm going to go after him. That sin looks more inviting than God does. That lifestyle is more appealing to me. And we fight our sin, and we fight for faith, 
in the grace of God. Where are you at today? Deception? Are you devoted? Or are you just deceived and abandoning? You're just walking away, just like I'm done. Somewhere in between those places. God is calling you. Today at the end of the service, Keller and Kayla are going to be standing in the back. And I'm going to ask you guys today, rather than waiting till the final song to go out, I'm going to ask you guys to go back during the final song. And if somebody just needs prayer, you need encouragement, maybe you're just struggling, you're ready to give up and throw in the towel. You're like, I just need somebody to just wrap their arm around me. I need somebody from the church just to, to pray for me and care for me. This couple will do that for you. Ladies, Kayla's there. Guys, Keller's there for you. Please take this opportunity, if you need that, to seek prayer. See me afterwards. But Jesus is praying for you. Know that. He's praying for you, that you won't quit and give up. Let's pray. Father God, it's awakening, it's startling to us that we can have a deceitful heart and know all the churchy answers. We've been to church all our lives, yet at the end of the day, our hearts are not with you. God, I pray that for those who have taken their eyes off Jesus, the author and the finisher of their faith, may today their eyes be put back on Jesus. And he will receive them with open arms. God, we thank you for your love and your grace. We thank you for your patience in those moments where, like Peter, we fail and we sin and we struggle. And sometimes it even looks like we're denying you. And God, we thank you for your faithfulness, that you're praying for us, Jesus. And you're upholding us. And your word is life and it's spirit. And our faith comes through you. We thank you for that truth. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.